The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Like Pastor Bob said, my name is Aaron, and I have the joy of now getting to be a part of the team here at Quorum Dale. It's so good to be with you all. You know, my wife, Cheyenne, and our four kids, Sienna, Kaysen, Adia, there's a picture of us, and Juniper, our littlest one. That's all of us there. Samwise is coming. That's our dog, a little mini golden doodle. He's coming next week. But all six of us, we made the, the two-week road trip out here. We arrived here two weeks ago, so we're, we're brand new to Cormdale. We're so glad uh, to be here all uh, with you. It's been such a joy getting to know some of you over the short period of time we've been here and looking forward for an opportunity to hopefully get to know many more of you in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. You know, the same day we took this picture, this picture is actually from the school that our kids went to out in California, which is a tad bit warmer than it is here to this morning. We're adjusting, we'll, we'll make do. But this picture, when we took it, the, that same evening, I was sitting on my couch looking at my iPad with my son, Kaysen, because we knew we were moving to Omaha, but we did not know exactly what house we were gonna be at. So as you do, we pulled up Zillow and started scanning through the different listings and the opportunities and just kind of wondering, you know, what house were we gonna choose and get to you know, jump in on? And as we were scanning through the pictures, we were just so impressed about the size of the houses compared to California. <laughs> And then as we were flipping through one house in particular, and many of the houses actually, we're getting to look at some of the yards in case in my five-year-old, he's sitting there next to me on the couch and he looks up at me with like big bright eyes. And he goes, Daddy, we're gonna get our own field in Omaha? <laughs> because if you don't know, living in California is great, but the houses are very much crammed together and the yards are about the size of probably your master bedroom. So. We're enjoying the extra space and the kids are having a ton of fun. Even as we got here two weeks ago and last week and this week, just getting used to the snow. I grew up in Washington, so I'm used to that for a little bit, but our kids have been loving the snow for the first time in their childhood. 
we weren't quite prepared, so we didn't really have you know, a ton of snow gear, but we did have our boogie boards from California that we used at the beach. And so, you know, boogie boards are great substitutes for sleds. And so we went sledding with our boogie boards in our backyard and had a great time with that. But, you know, honestly, it was, uh, you know, a ton of fun and our kids have really enjoyed being here. And our kids are so excited to come here to Omaha until I told them, in the case in particular, that there's a cost to coming to Omaha. And that cost is a really long drive. See, for us living in California, we could basically walk to almost anywhere we needed to go. Grocery store, park, the beach, church, school, everything was within walking distance. Except one place, Costco. <laughs> Costco was a full 15-minute drive from our house. And so as a family, we tried to make this drive as infrequently as possible. We would make sure our list was like to a T, everything was on there. We couldn't forget anything because we did not want to make that drive two times within a month. And so we would make that one drive once a month, stock up on our stuff like you do as a family and, you know, make Costco work for us. But then I had to tell Kaysen that if you want to get that field in Omaha, we're going to have to have a really, real long car drive. Like 3,000 miles, 14 days, and a minimum of six hours a day in your car seat. And the look on his face of like, he had just no categories for that at all. <laughs> no categories whatsoever. But, you know, by God's grace, we made it. It was actually, we made it all the way, get this guys, we made it all the way to day 12 before any of our kids asked that infamous question that, that happens on a road trip. And what's that question? Are we there yet, right? So all the way to day 12 out of a 14, 15 day trip, which was amazing. Our kids loved it, we had a great time. It doesn't take 14 days to get to California, just, just so you know. We, we intentionally took a really long route. We got to see some really cool spots, Zion National Park, and there's a number of friends that we hadn't gotten a chance to see in a long time, so we just slowed the trip down, got to see some friends, stay with them, and just really had a great time making a ton of memories with them along the way. And so as we've kind of gotten adjusted and been welcomed by so many of you into Coromdale, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for all the texts and the emails, just reaching out, welcoming us to this family. And we're so excited to be a part of that. Thank you to so many people who came the day we showed up to unload our pod into our house. And for so many of you bringing meals to us, it feels so good to be so welcomed and received into this family. And so as I kind of think about all these things from our road trips, from our time to California to here, to the welcome that we've received from so many of you, not only does it bring joy and laughter to our family, but it's also just one of the many evidences of God's grace in my life and in our family's life. And one thing I want to do with you all this morning is point you toward the grace of God in Christ Jesus through a very particular and meaningful passage that has meant so much to me and my family, especially over the past four or five years or so. And that passage is John chapter three that we just heard read a moment ago. And kind of the main thing that I'm hoping to convince all of you this morning is this one simple idea, and it's this, that your limits are a gift from God that are meant to lead you to Christ. Your limits are a gift from God meant to lead you to Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, I, don't, I probably don't have to convince many of you in this room of the simple fact that we all have limits. We have limited resources, limited time, limited energy, limited patience. We all recognize that we have limits. But in our cultural moment, 
the tendency is to think that our, our limits are bad. Our limits are kind of like a, a flaw in the system. And that if we could somehow just override our limits and kind of transcend our limits, then things could be much better. They could go our own way. And I would just enjoy life more if I didn't have so many limits in my life. And we might not say that explicitly, but that's often kind of the subtext that we kind of feel ourselves in in this moment. But I want to invite us to rethink and reframe that thinking a bit this morning. What if our limits are not something we always need to transcend, but they're actually a gift from God to be received with joy and with gladness? What if our limits are a gift from God that are actually meant to, to, to bring us closer to intimacy and connection with Jesus, our Savior? And so as we think about John chapter 3 this morning, it's exactly this idea that we're going to hone in on, that our limits are a gift from God meant to lead us to Christ. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. And kind of what I want to do this morning is break this text down, this passage down in kind of three movements or three points, all around this idea that our limits are meant to be a gift from God. But first, what we're going to see is that our limits are a gift from God that give clarity to our lives. Clarity as to who we are and who we're not. And then second, our limits are a gift from God that give us contentment and joy in life. And then last but not least, what we'll see is that our limits give us, by God's grace, more of Christ in our lives. So with that said, again, John chapter 3, starting in verse 22, the text reads this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because the water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Let's pause right there for a moment. Notice what's happening in the text. John's been doing his thing. He's been baptizing in the Jordan River. His ministry, for the most part, up until this point in the early chapters of John, has been growing. It's been thriving. God has been blessing it. But here in this story we just read, a few folks come to John, and they're like, hey, John, have you noticed something? Have you noticed that so many of the people that were following you, that were part of your ministry, they're going to follow this Jesus guy now? So John... Don't you see that your ministry is like kind of declining a little bit? Like your ministry is not growing as much as what it was before. John, what are you going to do about that? Notice how John doesn't seem to be phased at all in that moment. Notice how John has like this centeredness, this groundedness, because he's not like panicking. He's not worrying. He's not, oh my goodness, what I had thought God was blessing me with, what I thought God was building for me is, is Donald Dwelling. No, no, none of that's happening in John's life. John has this conviction, this clarity as to who he is and to who he's not. Because if you remember the story up until this point, if you just flip a page or two back in John chapter 1, John had already been asked this question before. People had come to John in John 1 and they had asked John, Hey, John, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? John, who are you? 
And how did John respond? Just three simple words. I am not. I'm not. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. See, John, John understood his limits. He understood the limits God has given. He understood who he was not. And I think that's such a gift that John was able to have and to receive. The gift of knowing exactly who he was not. He doesn't have to pretend. He doesn't have to strive. He doesn't have to be someone God has not made him to be. John is able to say with clarity and conviction, I am not fill in the blank. But on the flip side, John also knows who he is. In John chapter 1, we also read that when John is approached and asked this question, John also responds in the affirmative. I am the voice or a voice. John had that sense of clarity and conviction that he is a voice and not the word of God, that he is a herald and not the Messiah, that he's a forerunner and not the king. And I can't help but wonder, especially for myself in particular, that in our cultural moment again, that language of knowing who we are as limited creatures, I am not this, but that, how sometimes how foreign that can be for us that we often just want to transcend our limits. We often just want to, if I just had some better time management skills, I could do more or be more. If I just had that magic app that would solve all my problems, then I could just push through all my limits. Or if I just read the right self-help book, then I would just be the person that I know I really want to be. And instead of receiving the limits that God has given us as a avenue toward greater clarity as to who we are and who we're not, we often, more often than we want to admit, I think, attempt to transcend those limits. One person that I've really admired who's written really well on this topic, his name is Kelly Capick. He's a teacher and theologian, wrote this phenomenal book, just simply titled, You're Only Human, embracing the, the gift of God's limits and why that's good news. And he writes this in this book. Take a look. He says this, many of us fail to understand that our limitations are a gift from God and therefore good. This produces in us the burden of trying to be something we are not and cannot be. You see what he's saying there? He wants to convince you and make the case that your limits are actually good. They're not a flaw in the system and that they're meant to lead us to more of the clarity that God has for us. In my own story, a place where we've personally have seen this kind of grow or God develop this in my own life has been in our season of church, plant, church planning. Before, we, before I dive into kind of our story in church planning, I want to just kind of back up the train a little bit just to give some context as to our story of how we got into that church planning scenario. I grew up in northwest Washington in a tiny, small little town about as far north as you could get before you get into Canada right there on the coast. And Grew up in an amazing home. Mom and dad love and serve Jesus. Have been at the same church for over three decades and have been so influential in people that I love and respect to this day. My dad, I believe, epitomizes what it means to be a leader and a servant in the home, serving in the church and serving in the community. My mom, in particular, just had this tremendous impact on my life just from a very early age, opening up the scriptures and sharing with me the good news of Jesus. In fact, every time I read that line in Timothy where Paul writes to Timothy and says, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and now in your mother Eunice and now in you, to me that always just resonates because that reminds me so much of my grandmother on my mom's side, my mom, and then hopefully that faith continues to grow in my own life. And just to say, by way of just a small tangent, just 
For all you mothers in the room, do not allow our culture to minimize the importance of your role that you play in your family's life. The gift to steward, to shepherd, to, to share the scriptures in your family is such a beautiful and necessary component of what it means to raise people in the way of Jesus. And I'm so grateful to my own mother who has taken the time continually to encourage and invest and open up the word of God for me from a very early age and encourage me even to this day. But just because I grew up in a Christian home where the Bible was taught, the gospel was central, and we went to church almost every Sunday, doesn't mean I always walked faithfully with Jesus. You know, it wasn't really until my undergrad years when I was in college that the Lord really grabbed a hold of my life to really spur me on into and call me into ministry. I had been kind of just doing my own thing. Sports were an idol for me. But when I went to school down in Seattle, two things really began to take place. Number one, the, the pastor of the church I grew up in, someone I still love and respect and keep in contact with, kind of took me under his wing, mentored me, began to teach me and show me what it looks like to serve and to lead and to be a part of the pastoral ministry team of that church. But then also he encouraged me to go to a church closer to where I was going to college, Mars Hill in Seattle. And that whole experience there for me personally, God really used to shape my thinking and theology and to really give me a hunger to study and to learn the scriptures in a deep, meaningful way. And so as God was working in my life in my undergrad years, I finished in 2012, moved back up home to where I grew up and took a job as the youth pastor in the church that I grew up in and had just a tremendous time being a part of a church where people knew who I was and my family and all that it was just such a wonderful gift. Shortly after that, Shia and I started dating. We were married in 2013 and what a joy it has been for almost the past 10 years getting to do life with Cheyenne. Hopefully many of you get the chance to meet her and hear more of her, her story in the days and weeks to come. And it's been, again, such a gift getting to do life with Cheyenne, but to be really honest, the first few years of our marriage were incredibly difficult for us. Like I mentioned, we were married in 2013 and by, in September 2013, and by that December, we found out we were pregnant with our first son, Ryler. We weren't like opposed to having kids, we weren't really expecting to have kids, but it was just a, a surprise for us. And we were overthrilled, enjoyed, and excited to this new adventure God was leading us onto as being mom and dad for the very first time. And as the, the, the calendar turned and went into 2014, the pregnancy seemed to be going really healthy and smooth, and things seemed to be going in the right direction. But I remember a particular Sunday, May 18th, 2014, Again, I was a youth pastor at the time. We had our youth group over at our house playing some games outside. And I remember Cheyenne went inside all of a sudden because she was feeling some pain. We had about a dozen, 20 kids over at our house outside playing. And I went inside and she's like, I think we need to go to the hospital. Something's not right. And so as fast as we could, we got into our little car. Hospital was about 20 minutes away, south of where we were at. And by the time we got to the hospital, it was too late. Cheyenne had gone too far into labor, and our son was born about 24 weeks prematurely. And within the first year of marriage, for us, we faced the unthinkable and the unimaginable. I was not prepared for any of that. I had not, to that point in my life, really experienced really any sort of difficulty or hardship. But right then and there, in that hospital room with some really close friends that still means so much to me today. We prayed and we wept and we cried. 
And honestly, those months, and even really a couple of those years after, are some of the darkest and hardest years for us as a family. I didn't really know what it means to grieve or to lament. I just wanted to put my head down, get back to work. I made ministry an idol, and I did not care well for Cheyenne in that season. And God really had to work again in my life to show me what it means to actually be honest and to grieve and to open up and share the pain and the hurt that I was feeling in those days and in those weeks and those months. And by God's grace, God brought some amazing people into our lives to help us, to lead us, to bring healing to us. There's a few books in particular I love reading that really helped me kind of just build out a theology of what it means to lament and suffering and God's providence through all that. Keller's book, Walking with, with God Through Pain and Suffering, was huge. And some of C.S. Lewis's writings with his own personal story were just so healing for me in that season. And so God, God had to work a ton in that season of our lives. Our marriage needed help. Our faith needed to be strengthened. By God's grace, we still struggle and we still have our issues and we still have things to work on and grow through, but God has really met us in our pain and in our hurt. And I just want to say that God has given us such a beautiful gift to be honest before him in our pain, in our hurt. That we do not have to hide those feelings of doubt and shame and insecurity, those moments when we're suffering and, and just wondering, God, where are you in those moments? That the Psalms in particular give us this beautiful template, this beautiful invitation to cry out like Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? And to be intentional with pursuing God even in the midst of darkness and brokenness. That God invites us to come to him nonetheless. And so as we learn to come to him through our pain and through our suffering, a few years have had passed and God began to open up a door for us to be invited to come down to California to be a part of a kind of a larger church, to be a resident and then be sent out as a church planter. And so in the summer of 2016, we accepted this invitation to be a part of this amazing church and to be sent out as a church planter. And we were excited. We were stoked. We packed everything we had into like this tiny little U-Haul trailer, which would not be the case for us now. Sienna, we just had our one daughter at the time. She was a year and a half. And we made the, the journey down to Monterey, California with the hopes and the dreams of planting and starting our own church. Up until that point, I'd been continuing to work in pastoral ministry. And I just began to develop this love for teaching and this love for the word and love to just communicate and be a part of what God is doing in his people through the scriptures. But here's the thing. As we set out to church plant, looking back, there is a lot of, I guess, ill motives in my own heart in that process. A lot of naive thinking that had been going on in my own heart. And one of the main things that was happening was that I just simply equated, and this will sound really kind of foolish and naive in hindsight, but I just simply equated a love and you know, a halfway decent skill of being able to communicate and teach God's word equals I can church plant and be a lead pastor. Which, by the way, is not the case at all. And I just assumed that, okay, I love teaching, I love the word, I love getting to read and study and be with people in that kind of environment, so why don't I just church plant? Why don't I just kind of do our own thing? And what I failed to realize, and this is kind of getting back to what we're talking about in the text here, what I failed to realize is my own limits, who I am not and who I am. I just assume that, okay, I love to teach equals I can be a lead pastor, I can be a church planner. 
And all this kind of selfish ambition. A few months ago, you guys were going through the book of James, and in James 3, 3.17, James says, wherever there's selfish ambition, there will be disorder. That was totally what I was going through in our church plant. A ton of selfish ambition leading to so much disorder and hurt amongst God's people. And so God had to gently, as he does, rebuke and convict me of my ill motives. And by the time we kind of started our church in 2017 with Sunday services, we had been planning and doing a bunch of stuff before then. Sunday services lasted maybe just over a year. And by the fall of 2018, it became clear that we needed to close the church down. And so we faced another moment of disappointment and heartache and just wondering, God, why? Why? I thought we were doing the right thing, but you must have something different for us. And I say all that because one of the lessons I learned in that season, and I'm still learning and still growing in this for sure, is that by God's grace, we all have limits. And I learned that lesson the hard way, but our limits are meant to give clarity to us, clarity as to who I am and who I'm not, so I can say with, with the sense of like joy and with a sense of like gratefulness that it's okay that I'm not a lead pastor. That's not how God designed me to be. I'm not meant to be a church planner. I love getting to be in kind of more of a team environment and an associate type role. I still love teaching. I'm so grateful for this opportunity that I get to be part of Cornbiel and to focus on that. But God has been so good to show me that through my limits, that I'm not this kind of pastor or leader or person, but this is who I am. I just hope and pray that for all of us in this room that God, by his grace, would continue to reveal more of those things in our own lives, that we might all have greater clarity as to who we are and who we're not. So the first thing that we're going to see from this text is that God's limits are, are a gift that give us clarity. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to point out is that God's limits give us contentment and joy. Take a look at verse 27 with me in the text. John answered and said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from above, from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I can remember exactly where I was in our house in Seaside, California when, we, when I was reading this verse, verse 27 in particular. In 2018, I had been attempting to read through the Gospel of John and kind of my own personal devotional life. And to be honest, I never really made it past John chapter 3 in this section. Because the Lord, in his grace, in his kindness, verse 27 was the first verse in this paragraph that really jumped off the page for me. And the Lord graciously convicted me and showed me where I was going off. And that's how God is, by the way. When he convicts and when he brings correction, he's gentle and he's good like that. And the Lord gently used his word, verse 27 in particular, to show me that I was attempting to achieve and to strive and to be and pretend to be someone I was not meant to be. And that God in his grace was inviting me to close the church plant down and to trust that whatever God had next for my family and I would be something that we would not have to strive for, achieve for, pretend to be someone we're not, but simply receive. 
Simply receive the gift that he wanted to give us. Now, in the fall of 2018, I had no idea what that would be like. I had no idea what was going to just happen a few months later. But as we prayed and as we talked and with some close friends and people we trusted, it seemed really clear that this is what the Lord was inviting us to. To trust, to lay down my preferences and what I thought was my own kind of thing that the Lord had and to receive whatever God would have for us. And notice this is exactly what John does. He, he is saying in this text, a person can only receive the things that God has given him. You can't achieve them. You can't strive for them. You can't try to grasp your way and claw your way up to get the things that God has for you. You simply have the, 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 the responsibility, if I could put it like that, to receive the gifts that God wants to give you. And notice what the fruit of that is. Notice what John says in verse 29. Therefore, this joy of mine is what? Complete. It's full. It's overflowing. John is saying, not only do I have clarity as to who I am and who I am not, but because he's embraced the gift of his limits, he's also not just to have the clarity and the conviction, but he also has joy in the midst of that. He has thankfulness. He has this sense of like, I'm not begrudgingly, here I am, who I'm not. No, no, there is a sense of exuberance and joy and gratefulness to who God has made him to be. And friends, just being completely honest, when God was convicting me in verse 27, there was not a ton of joy in that moment for me. It took some time. And by God's grace, the church that we ended up being a part of as we closed our church plant down was so instrumental in shaping and, and helping me have more joy in those limits. We started just first off attending a church locally, kind of close by to where we were living, with no intention of ever working there or you know, joining the staff team or anything like that, but just a place to be and to heal and to, to grow as disciples of Jesus. But in God's providence, we were invited to be a part of the staff team just a few months after there as the church continued to grow. And, what an amazing gift and time that was for our family and I. The team that I got to be a part of, the people that we got to do life with together, people that I believe will be lifelong friends for us. The pastor I got to work with was so helpful in just bringing more clarity to who I am and who I'm not, someone I, again, greatly admire and respect. And that whole season as a part of that church out in Pacific Grove brought so much joy in my life and a recognition of who I am and who I'm not. Where it wasn't just, okay, now I know who I am and who I'm not, but no, I'm actually excited about that. I'm grateful for who I am not and who I am now. And in many ways, friends, we were not looking to leave California at all. Yes, it's super expensive, but we were so happy there. But as life kind of continued for us and as our family continued to grow, we began to face a new set of limits and challenges for us as a family. About 18 months or so, a year and a half ago, my wife, Cheyenne, began to experience some pretty severe health problems. And her, from headaches to pain to just excessive tiredness, we weren't really quite able to figure out exactly kind of what that was all about or what exactly that was. But it was very clear that our rhythm as a family, me working full time, she was working as a CPA and had been for about 10 plus years, and our growing number of kids, that whole rhythm we were facing some limits, and it wasn't sustainable for us. 
And as you might know or expect, California is a very, very, very expensive place to live. And so the thought of Cheyenne stepping down from work and just going to one income seemed like, you know, I can add a little bit and it wasn't going to add up. And so we were faced in this moment of, do we just kind of press through? Do we make just Cheyenne keep working to make it work here? Or do we trust that perhaps the limits we're facing now, God wants to use to lead us to perhaps into something new? And so we brought our small group and some close friends into the conversation and really attempted to discern together what God would have for us in this season. We learned the kind of the hard way in the church plant season. Like I was in this mode of like, I'm just going to declare what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell you what God has told me to do when we set out to church plant. And one of the things that the church that we were part of in California talked about a lot was the, cult, the difference between a culture of declaration versus a culture of discernment. And we live in often a declaration culture. I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do versus a discernment culture, bringing other people into the conversation that know you, that love you, that will tell you no. And so we did our best to cultivate that as we were praying through like what this meant for us with Cheyenne's health and her work and all those sorts of things. And so when we kind of came to a moment where like we realized, okay, I think what the Lord is inviting us to do is to have Cheyenne step down from her job. We were expecting our fourth child at the time and as Juniper was gonna be born, she would go on maternity leave and then not return to work. And so again, that creates some complexities on the financial side. And so we begin to pray and to discern, Lord, where are you leading us? What is all of this about? Because again, we loved our place in California. But by God's grace, we said yes to him, joyfully with those limits. And the Lord through the past few months has led us here to Corumdale. It's through the gift of God's limits, friends, that we're here now today. And we are so thrilled and excited and just full of expectation of what God wants to do in our family and through all of us together as we get to hopefully know so many of you in the coming uh, season here. And that we get to be a part of this journey of following Jesus together. But friends, it was through saying okay to the limits God was giving us that we now are experiencing the joy of the family here at Quorumdale. And so if we think about this for a moment, that our limits are meant to bring clarity to our lives, a gift of clarity, the gift of joy and contentment in our lives. Last but not least, what I want to talk about is that our limits, God's limits for us, are meant to lead us to more of Christ. Take a look at verse 30 with me in your Bibles. Many of you probably already know it. What does it say? He must increase, but I must decrease. Notice what John is saying there. John is saying, no, Christ must increase. The Messiah must increase. His ministry, his glory, his fame must increase. And I must decrease. His way must grow. His path, his teaching, his influence must grow. But, but me, John says, I'm meant to decrease. You know, I know for so many of us in this room, we're still getting to know each other a little bit here. But I venture to say that for many of us in this room, we want this to be true. You want this to be true. 
You want to live lives where you say from the bottom of your heart, Lord Jesus, you increase in my life. You be magnified, you be glorified, and may I decrease. May you enter into the spaces and the places where I am broken and limited and sinful and bring restoration and healing, and you be big in my life. But notice how John gets to this place here in verse 30. How has he gotten here? How has he gotten to the place where he can say with joy and gladness, Christ, you must increase, but I must decrease. How has he gotten there? Friends, it's through John's ability by God's grace to embrace the limits God has given him. John has come to a place where he's been able to say, I am not this, I am this. I have joy in spite of all of that satisfaction and contentment. And therefore I can say, verse 30, Christ must increase and I must decrease. And I can't help but wonder for us today in our cultural moment, again, that temptation to transcend our limits, that if we fall into that temptation, may I dare say we circumvent the, 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 the experience and the gift of getting to experience more of Christ in our lives. If we just want to fill our own lives up with our own thing and our own path and our own idea of what I can do, no matter the limits are before me, and we don't surrender to him and what God has said before us, friends, I venture to say we will not experience all that Christ has for us in our lives. And friends, the good news of the gospel is that we get to experience all that Christ has for us because of what Christ has done for us in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness. You know, Paul reminds us of this very fact that Christ limited himself for us on the cross. If you remember in Philippians chapter two, Paul is reminding this young thriving church in Philippians two and he tells them in verse five of chapter two, have this mind among yourselves. Have this thought pattern, have this way of thinking among yourselves, which is yours. It's all yours in Christ Jesus. That though Christ was in the form of God, he did not, Paul says, count equality with God as something to be grasped, something to attain, something to achieve, something to strive for in his own doing. No, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But what did Christ do, Paul says? He emptied himself. He limited himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. That Christ has limited himself for you and for me. Paul goes on to say, and being found in human form, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, in, in light of this magnificent truth that Christ has limited himself for us, therefore, Paul says, God the Father has given him or bestowed or granted him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel that Christ in his mercy and in his kindness has limited himself for you and for me. That he has taken on human form that he has lived that perfect life, the life that you and I have been called to live but have failed to live and has died the death we should have died in our place for our sins. And as a gift to each of us, he has given us his spirit. And Paul says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not freedom to do whatever you please, 
Not freedom to just transcend the limits that you think you're facing in life. No, that's not true biblical freedom. True freedom in Christ is the freedom to follow, the freedom to obey, the freedom to be more and more conformed into the image of his son Jesus. Christ has limited himself to liberate us from sin, from shame, from death and the devil. And then we gather here this morning to celebrate the good news that Christ has given himself, limited himself for you and for me. So friends, as we close, I just want to remind you that your limits are a gift from God that are meant to lead you more to Christ. It's not a flaw in the system. God has given you certain limits that we might say with John, Lord Jesus, you increase in my life and may I decrease. Father, we pray that this morning you would continue to reveal more of your goodness to each of us. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word and for the gift of community as we are gathered here today. I thank you for these men and women who love you and desire to see more of you in their lives. And I pray right now in this moment, as we come to the table, as we continue to worship you through song, that you would increase more and more in our lives. That those places and those spaces where we're facing our limits, our pain, our sin, our brokenness, God, would you draw near right now in those moments? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of life with you. May we not take that for granted. May we celebrate with joy who you are and what we've done for us. We love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.